This podcast is supported by Red Energy, powered by the mighty Snowy Hydro, a leader in renewable energy. Red is 100% Australian owned and local. Phone 131 806. I'm Jo Stanley, and for years I woke up at an ungodly hour to do breakfast radio. These days, though, my lack of sleep comes from being a mum. Like most parents, I'm just trying to get through the day without yelling at my kid and laugh crying in the middle of the shops. And if I can juggle my career and still get my daughter to eat broccoli every now and then, I'm awarding myself Mother of the Year. I mean, we're all different, but the parenting roller coaster is the same. Sharing our stories of the highs and the lows is so important because it's a lot easier to enjoy this crazy ride when we know we're all in this together. Welcome to Mum Plus One, thanks to Red Energy. Great value electricity and gas, that's Red Energy. If you were to write a job description for being a parent, you might say, love them even when they hit the teenager, I hate you years, and clearly that's critical. Or you might include, ensure child eats more vegetables than lollies, don't let them play on the road. Or encourage eight plus hours sleep a night, teaching manners a bonus. These are all obviously very important parental duties, but I would describe a parent's job as empower child to be the person they were born to be. Which is why I'm so excited to welcome our guest to the podcast today, Steve Badolf, who said it best when he said, we do not make our children, we meet our children. I love that because it's been an absolutely joyous 11-year journey meeting and getting to know my daughter, Willow. Steve Padolf is a psychologist and worldwide best-selling author, best known for his two books, Raising Boys and Raising Girls, although he has many more titles to his name. Steve, it is so great to speak with you. Hello, Joe. It's really good to be talking to you too and to everyone listening. Hello from Tasmania. So, Steve, I just love this. We do not make our children, we meet our children. I've formed my own understanding of that particular phrase in as much as I believe that I'm here to be taught by my daughter who she is. Can you elaborate on what you mean by that? Sure. I think that it came out because of a thing that we noticed very early on in working with lots of families who are having big trouble with their kids, and especially an area that I was worried about, which was dads and dads and sons, but it applies to all children, as, as you've just said. And that is that sometimes people have this idea of a kind of child they are going to make. And it's got even just when you think of that, it's got a lot of ego mixed up in that, but also just, you know, all the kind of the books and the, you know, Instagram posts and all this whole thing of the child is kind of some kind of reflection of us. And what always happens is our child is really, really different to what we are planning on having. <laughs> and my little boy, when he was born, a couple of things happened. Um, one was we were planning a, a wonderful home birth experience and we were all organized for that and done so much preparation. And we ended up doing what we did with all of our kids in the end, which was an emergency cesarean, mm. a big transfer to hospital. Uh, when he was 10 days old and we got home and we thought we were through all of that, he, he stopped breathing one afternoon. Mm. And we had to, luckily it was the afternoon and we were awake and we found him and resuscitated him. Oh. It was from the word go, really what everyone discovers is you just 
stagger through parenthood and make the best of it. And you learn as you go. And all the time, while you're losing your fancy dreams, Mm -hmm. you get this much better thing back, which is you get this wonderful, special, unique child who draws out of you all these things that you didn't even know you had. And so what you get back is far better than what you would have made up for yourself. It's easy to say that. It's, it's going to stretch you to the very limits of your being. Parenthood is really, really hard. And that's the other thing they don't tell us. <laughs> um, yeah, but does that make sense, Joe? Yeah, I'm making sense. it does, absolutely. And I think that you're right in saying that um, as parents, we have to set a Side our ego and what we had dreamed for this child when we were, you know, perhaps expecting the child or as, as infants, you know, we sort of hope. I use, I'm a Collingwood supporter and I use this as an example. You know, my family were three, four generations of Collingwood supporters. Now, if my daughter had chosen not to bear it for Collingwood, it would have broken my heart, but it's, <laughs> it's absolutely her choice, you know, and you got to set aside what your dreams are for that kid and let them tell you who they are. That can be hard to parent that way, can't it? Yes, for sure. I think what we've found is that the more that you're aware of this, it, it helps a lot. And, and so, because there's a kind of a grief process that we go through and saying, okay, look, that was a nice dream. And and the reality is different. It's not just kind of mind over matter. It, you, you have to go through that process. And, and sometimes we've had people sit down and say, okay, what was my dream child? And say, well, that's not what, what you've got and you've got something different. Of course, that's huge when we have a child who's got disabilities or challenges, but in fact, it's true of every child. They're not in the world to be your little badge that you wear. <laughs> and and so, uh, these, Joe, these are de- I don't usually get asked these deep questions oh. on podcasts. This is, <laughs> this is going all sorts of new places. I like to hit the ground running. <laughs> but I guess um, what you're saying too is what you get back is this extraordinary adventure as you learn about this unique individual. That's right, because when we meet someone, there's an element of um, humility in that. The other thing, of course, is that and one of the things that's in, in my books that people seem to get the most of is talking about some of these stages that happen. Mm. If you're kind of open to it, it's like they're a new kid all of a sudden at, at these different stages that it all changes. So even if you thought you knew them and we're on a very sound footing, don't relax too much because that changes too. And, um, you know, boys really change at four. Little girls, you know, puberty is massive with girls. And so if you have a humble approach, and you just say, well, you know, they're a stranger and I have to treat them with courtesy and and I have to really listen. Who are you today? Sometimes people ask, because I've wrote Raising Boys and Raising Girls books, that somehow put people in boxes by their gender. And even that's not the case. So you've got a boy, little boys or big boys. That doesn't tell you anything about what they're going to be like. There's a whole range of different kinds of boy, girls too. And so you have to sort of sit back and say, what kind of we got, you know, what have we got here? Mm. And sometimes, sometimes that's just appreciating what you've got and saying, well, isn't that wonderful? You know, our, our little six-year-old girl punched the school bully in the face. Well, that's <laughs> something good about that, you know? Um, and then there's the thing of, well, okay, are the things we have to balance out? For instance, you might have a wonderful but very tender-hearted little boy who's he's gentle, he's creative, and all those really nice qualities, but he, you might have to work with him a bit to learn how to stick his jaw out and talk loud sometimes 
when he needs to. If you have a boy who's very boisterous and physical and just without even trying to is knocking people over and scaring the animals and things, then you have to teach him. You've got to say, okay, he's going to need to learn how to or how gentleness works, how to touch gently, how to speak gently, how to notice other people's feelings. And so you're working to balance up the extremes because the world doesn't need men who can wrestle buffaloes anymore. Mm. You know, we, we, the world needs men who've got, got heart and backbone and it needs girls who are pretty strong because, you know, the old idea that you find a man to look after you is not a really great idea. And so on the, the girls' book, I think the title is How to Raise Girls you know, to Be Strong and Wise, and you need those both qualities. I really love the notion that you would approach every stage with your child with curiosity rather than throwing your arms in the air and going, I don't, I can't do this, I don't know what's happening to you, you know, that you might meet this person again every day, I guess with openness to who they are and who they're becoming. Also, I love that we're approaching our child understanding their dominant features, I guess, but then knowing how to draw out the less dominant parts to them. Is it? Do you think that parenting is largely about trying to find a balanced human in there somewhere? <laughs> I think that's exactly what it is. When I was a kid at school, I was sent to I was sent to the psychologist, and for a, a nine year old child in Yorkshire in the nineteen fifties, that that was a pretty big deal. And they tested my IQ and found out that I, my IQ was only about ninety. And and so all my books and all my ideas are very simple, Joe, because I, I haven't got a very good brain. <laughs> And, you and me both. And so, <laughs> and so I keep, I keep you know, I, I'm a tribute to special education. <laughs> the simple handle I have on this is that when you talk about balance, what is it they're balancing? They have to have backbone and they have to have heart. Mm. And heart and backbone are the two qualities that really make life go well. Now, heart is easy to understand because that's, you know, tenderness and loving and, and kind. And little kids show that with you know, when they have pets and when they have animals or if they've got a little brother or sister or something. And because we, we treat them gently and kindly. But backbone, you've got to have that as well. People listening who are mums, if, if you have a husband who's very nice but he's got no backbone, he doesn't show up. He doesn't go the distance. You can't count on him. All those backbone qualities, then it's no good. Backbone means, you know, if you're doing something that you promised, you know, you promised to go to your little friend's birthday party and then you had a better offer. You know, someone else had a better party that you'd rather go to. Well, you know, well, bad luck. You know, you promised the first friend and that matters. And you, you have to do the right thing. And so kids learn that the backbone is about, you know, you don't just quit because you feel tired. And luckily kids, they watch us and they see this in us mostly. And so they, they get it that way. And when you keep your agreements and you, and you know, you're enduring and, and the, the most lovely quality that I, I notice is that little kid who stands up for his friend, mm. he's scared and the bullies are big, but it's just wrong that they're pushing him around. And I've seen that happen in, in, in kids in schools. And a little guy or a little girl says, don't bully my friend. And she's about half the size of the bullies, but she's so clear on right and wrong. Mm. And there's a strength that's gotten 
nothing to do with muscles or size. It's the strength of knowing what's right and what's wrong and speaking up for that. Yeah, these are things. And you, everyone listening will think, yeah, look, my kid's got lots of backbone, but they need a bit of work on the heart, you know. And so that just gives you a bit of idea what might be the big project for the next year or so. But like I say, in a job description for being a parent, you can have all those practical things, but really our job is instilling values that are going to shape the person that they are, the adult that they become. Yes, sort of character qualities. Mm. Um, and, yeah, but luckily 90% of it is, is if we have those qualities, they'll they'll just absorb them. Yeah. There's a thing, Joe, whenever we have an interviewer who's really into the deep water like you are, <laughs> um, I, I, I have to kind of pull it back to the practical. And, and yes. a lot of a lot of things from people will be listening to the podcast thinking, oh, that's easy to say, you know, it's really hard. I'm having a really hard time with my kids, you know, just getting them to have their breakfast, you know, all this backbone and heart stuff. And so one of the things I always try to say is that the main problem, the main thing that makes family life hard is the hurry that everyone's in. Mm. Um, and it's on my website. It's the top banner across the website. Hurry is the enemy of love. Yes, I was going to quote that to you in a little um, while. So you've 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 done it for me, and I love uh, this. Can you elaborate? Yes. Well, what it is is that in a family, people, of course, people love each other and and they really care, and that's that, oh, they wouldn't be there. But what happens is that love actually takes time because it's mostly about what you could call attunement and being tuned into each other. And so if mum and child come back together at the end of the day or husband and wife get back together at the end of the day, you're not just automatically tuned in. You know, you're kind of revved up from your day and, and, and trying to cope with everything and the child might have all kinds of upsets from their day. If you don't watch out, you'll be just kind of be like a car with no clutch. You'll just kind of jar and crunch and grind all night, sort of not quite getting on. For things to go well, you have to slow right down. And when people are doing 17 after-school activities every week and, and racing about and, and the way that modern life just has become, what you'll find, if you're listening and you'll notice this, your interactions become more and more jarring and you'll sort of get a halfway talking, you know, you, you ask, you know, one of your children, how was your day? And they'll say, oh, it's all kind of all right. And, and, but before you can explore that, there's something else going on. And now that answer meant, you know, you know, in your back of your mind, that's not exactly whoopee. That's like something's a bit not all right. And if you haven't got time to unpack that a little bit you just know we have this wonderful gut feeling system we just know something isn't right if you haven't got time to kind of just calm down and, and, and say you know i really want to know how your day was or something's bothering you and, and with teenagers of course sometimes they'll there'll be something that's really upsetting them and they have trouble telling us because it's vulnerable and they're trying to be independent um and so you just drift into their bedroom at you know at bedtime and, and sit on the bed and say you know i really want to hear about your day if they feel that you're the real deal and it's not just 17.17 on your checklist you know tuck in child sometimes all this stuff will come pouring out and it'll be really worrying them and really concerning them and it might and in your mind you think okay we're gonna be here for about half an hour talking this through you know there goes that netflix show i was going to watch you know <laughs> but i really need to know about this this is precious and so if 
you're listening to this interview right now at home or on a train or somewhere, it may be that your life is just so rushed and so frantic that it feels like we're dreaming to even be talking this way. It may be, and this is one of the effects when people come to my my talks and things, Joe, is they they go home and they they quit half their activities. They just cut right back on after school classes and rushing about. People, sometimes people sell their house and move to the country and just sort of recognize the way we live is crazy. Mm. No one's happy. And we've put all our stuff on, you know, when our kids graduate and they get a degree and they get a good job and they get, then they'll be happy. But we don't even know how to be happy now. Um, one of the practical things that I think it was in the Raising Boys book was take a year off and drive around Australia if your family is just really starting to unravel, especially in middle secondary school. There's a thing where in middle secondary school, it's often whole years are a complete waste of time and buy an old four-wheel drive, drift around the country as a family with a caravan. And hundreds and hundreds of people have done that. And they've mm. contacted me and said, we did that, that thing in your book. And we're calling from, you know, Karatha or somewhere. And they always say, it's been the best year of our lives. You know, we got back in touch with our kids. Our daughter was growing up way too fast and she's gone back to, you know, being like a, a child again, enjoying nature, enjoying life. Um, we got out of, you know, toxic friends and all sorts of things. I was going to ask you about COVID in a little while, but I do feel like, you know, in, in Melbourne, we're back into lockdown, but the whole of the country still is, you know, I think wary of heading out into whatever the new normal is. And that slowing down has been really beneficial to so many parents. That's exactly right. Mm. Um, when the virus first struck in, back in March, um, I have a couple of Facebook communities and one's on boys and one's on girls. And between them, they've got quarter of a million parents and they're all over the world. And so I, and I didn't know, people sort of think, oh, you know, a psychologist, he'll just know what we're supposed to do. But I'm not that kind of expert. I'm not an expert at all. I just think it's good to talk about this stuff. I just said, how's everyone going? You know, what are you, what are you doing? What do you think is the best way to handle this? And we got thousands and thousands of people commenting in. They fell into very distinct two categories. The first category had this big rush. I was up half the night just sort of excitedly just listening and talking to people. Was saying, we love it. You know, we're really loving being at home together. But I don't know if you, people remember, that was in the school holidays and schools kind of just weren't coping anyway. And so people weren't doing very much. They were just enjoying playing board games and, mm. and, and cooking and the kids were making meals and, and maybe dad was home or mum was home when she usually wasn't. And so there's great flood of people saying, this is the best time we've had for years. But it's always, there's always a yin and yang with, especially with a Facebook stream. Yes. And, and so, so after about six or seven hours, a whole bunch of people who just couldn't stand all this optimism were coming in and they're actually, no, I'm joking because they actually, <laughs> it was, quite serious they were saying it's it's hell yeah you know, we're having a terrible time yeah. um because they weren't very good at being together and then when schools came back and some schools were putting a lot of you know putting eight hours of curriculum onto the internet and things like that 
families started to really explode. And so we began to make this conclusion that if you're in a shutdown and you were stuck at home with children, there was a pretty good argument to be made for just deciding to chill. Mm-hmm. The better schools and the wiser schools, whether they were little country primary schools or big fancy grammar schools or whatever, they were saying to parents, just put in a couple of hours in the morning if it's you know secondary kids, just do what you can. Yeah. Don't sweat it. The main thing is the mental health of you and your children. Luckily, that gave people a bit of permission to 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 have fun and to have exercise and but mainly to to say okay we're all in this together how can we make every day nice and and i think that would still be the best advice about it um be friendly take off any of those outer things that we've all got to achieve massive goals and and find your own way and then it might turn out to be just the best thing that ever happened Yeah, I think that's wonderful advice, Steve. I do want to get to your two most well-known books, Raising Boys and Raising Girls, because I have a daughter. I have no experience of raising boys, but I have lots of friends and my my sister has, both my sisters have sons and your book was really important to them. Um, Mm. So firstly, what, what made you home in on specifically raising boys at the time? Because it was quite a few years ago now. Sure. Yes, it mm. was about twenty-five years ago. Yeah. And the, I'm well. I was a family psychologist, and our the ethics of psychology is you go where the disasters are. Mm. You know, you don't work for advertising companies or that sort of rubbish. You you go where the need is the greatest, and boys and men include them all in together. In the twentieth century, were a disaster. I do a drawing on a, a board. If people watching can picture this, I draw two, these two little identical babies on the board. In there, they're wrapped up tightly in blankets, like little gum nut babies, mm-hmm. and and they look absolutely identical. And I say, okay, the, the baby on the left has nineteen times the chance of going to prison three times as much chance of dying before the 25, three times the chance of being a drug addict. And I rattle out a few more of these statistics. And what's the difference between these two babies? And people make all these wild guesses. And I say, no, it's it's only one difference is the one on the left is a boy. Mm. Because the the risk factors for being a boy are very unique and, and you know, huge, huge difference in it. Like, you know, three times more likely to die before they're 25. That's like a whole other country. Mm. And of course, as a family therapist, I'd worked with lots and lots of tough families and have to be careful how I say this because I'm not wanting to be unkind, but, and certainly not wanting to be inaccurate, but so often in the families I was working with, it was the dad who was the stumbling block and, and who was struggling and I began to realize that dads just really struggled with the role of father. And when we looked into that, the first thing was that their own fathers had been hopeless and they'd been, they'd belted them mm-hmm. or they um, told them they were hopeless. Uh, if you go to a prison, and uh, I worked in prisons once or twice, the, the men there just you know, burst into tears when they talk about their fathers. Their fathers, you know, told them they were useless pieces of shit, you know, so many times mm. that was that was all they got from their dads. In the sort of better off parts of society, dads were just never around. They were working every single minute. A dad was like a walking wallet, this guy that you barely knew. And so 
I realized we had to save masculinity. And I wrote a book called Manhood, which was the first one on this, which was about helping men to heal their own childhoods. Mm. And then we wrote Raising Boys so that the problem wouldn't be repeated in the next generation. And that book, there was a point where someone was buying it every three minutes somewhere in the world. I explained to my kids, I said, every three minutes, a 20 cent piece rolls down our driveway <laughs> and I'm from Russia or somewhere. And that's, that's how we get to eat. <laughs> um, people resonated with the message, Joe. They, they, they said, yes, we are worried about our son. Yes. You're listening to Mum Plus One and our guest today is Steve Madolf. Thanks to Red Energy for supporting this podcast. Red Energy has great value, electricity and gas that goes beyond price. Call 131 806 today. I think anecdotally from my girlfriends and my sisters, they were relieved to know that their fears and their struggles in raising their sons was normal. That's the first thing. And relieved also to know that it's okay to have a boy that might be very sensitive or it's okay that you want then to bring out the sensitive sides to a boy that might be very, you know, rambunctious. It was a very powerful book from that point of view. I wonder just for parents of boys listening now, can you give maybe three tips? I know the book is very extensive and I would recommend you go and buy it and read it. But if you were raising sons, what do we need to know? The main thing is that they develop more slowly than girls. Their brains are much slower. And so what you have to do is make sure that um, that that you don't rush them. You don't rush them into school and that you will especially allow them lots of chance to get exercise and run around because their brain develops trunk first, then limbs, and then fingers and toes come last, whereas girls go first off to fingers and toes. And so, so boys have to use their bodies in order to get their brain to coordinate well, to learn self-control and to learn, you know, to be able to do neat writing and things like that. And so the biggest relief factor that people got from raising boys was um, they're not bad. Um, when they when they're climbing the walls, and and if you had a if you you had a big dog at home, you'd take it to the park, you know, and, and you, maybe you need to do that with your boy. And if you're in if you're in a COVID lockdown, have exercise at the start of the day, you know, get one of those half hour YouTube's and run the stuffing out of them <laughs> and maybe then they'll be happy to do their hour sitting at a desk boys are slower sometimes they're more physical and then there are all the stages like the um the full-on fours and the anxious eights and and all those kinds of things as well but those those are the main ones yeah yeah i will say i have a friend who has three sons and she just she literally says to me i have to go and run the boys and she'll just take them to the <laughs> park and make them run <laughs> and it's like, it is kind of like having three puppies <laughs> cuz and she does it twice a day because if not, wow. the house is unbearable if she doesn't do that. Yeah, and, and whenever we talk like this about the genders, it, it, it's always we're only saying most boys. Sure, there'll be some there'll be some girls that are like this as well. Mm. So then, in 2013, you turned your attention to girls, and 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 as you say, you go where the crisis is, where the disaster is. So what what made you think in 2013 that we now now needed to help our girls? Okay, there was a couple of things happened at the same time, Joe. I had a teenage daughter and I was seeing what she was going through and what her friends were going through. I'm a mental health professional, so I was, you know, I 
I was reading about the picture with mental health of kids and what happened 10 years ago, something like that, 10, 15 years ago, the mental health of girls started to go over a cliff. You know, it had been great. We'd had a century of feminism. Girls' horizons were high. They were flying along. And then all of a sudden, they were just knocked sideways by mostly anxiety was the biggest thing, eating disorders, self-harm. But basically, all those come down to anxiety. And we were completely flawed. But after looking at it for not very long, we realized no wonder because the world of our daughters is so different to how it was when we were kids. Mm. The forces of the world, and this is not, it's not the girl's fault. There's nothing wrong with your daughter's brain. What's happening is that the world got nasty and girls are attuned to social cues. They're attuned to belonging and aware of other people's feelings. And the advertisers went after that. Mm. And the accident, because the internet was an accident, nobody was planning the internet. It brought the world into their lives in a way that we weren't ready for. Something like half of teenage girls around the world are still on social media after midnight every night. And and yeah, I can see you kind of no, shaking. No, it hurts me. There. Yeah, it really and, hurts and, me. Yeah, and it's not a nice place. And so what parents are doing now is getting much, much stricter about devices and the timing. The best advice was everyone put their devices on the charger at tea time and don't go near them again till the next morning. If the whole family does that, you have a different girl. Mm. And people write to me and say, we've got a different girl since we did that. You know, she wakes up happy. Um, you know, she's keen to go to school. You know, the, the, the dark circles under her eyes have gone. And it's good, simple as sleep. You know, mm. sleep is mm. really important for mental health. Um, and they were checking their Facebook feeds or their Instagram or TikTok, whatever it is now, not out of sense of fun, but just because they, could, they felt they couldn't, in case they missed something important mm. from the playground politics. Does that sound right to you? As yeah, a, you know? I, yeah, absolutely. You gave us those great tips for boys. And when you talk about raising girls, you, you mentioned we want them to be strong and confident. So what tips would you have for those of us who are raising girls? Yes. Well, again, slow down is always the first one. Mm. Make a stand on the media that you have in your house, even television. Um, and the third one is that they need soul help. And so they need aunties and ideally a, a dad or men in their lives who treat them respectfully. Mm. And so they, know, so they know men who are interested in them and discuss things with them. And so they feel that, that they're special to someone and they have worth to males. So they, so they learn to set a high bar for from what to expect from men. Mm. I think too, and for both boys and girls, we're so much as adults role modelling all the time. And I think sometimes we forget that, you know, we're being watched and our behaviour and the way we talk about ourselves and the way we talk about other people is just absorbed by our kids so much. So, for instance, I never, ever speak about my appearance. I don't really talk about that in front of my daughter because I know when I was growing up, all I heard was my mum saying, oh, you know, I've got fat stomach, I've got this, I've got that. And that really absorbed that as far as there's an ideal physically. Mm. But I think even the way you relate to other adults, your kids are absorbing that the whole time, aren't they? That's right, exactly, and um, uh, it's it's quite so, it's quite daunting. Um, <laughs> yeah. um, and um, you, you probably find you drive differently when you've got your child in the car. Yeah. There's all kinds of things. Well, you hope good. you do. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> 
tell me then, Steve, how are we now? I mean, those books were written 10 and 20 years ago. How are our boys doing now? Are, we, are they still in crisis? And how are our girls doing now, do you think? Yeah, I think there's a whole nicer kind of boy in the world. Mm. And uh, Joe, I'm not, I'm not taking personal credit for this. Okay? <laughs> there, was, there was a sea change everywhere. But if I look at my at my son and his generation, they're genuine friends with girls, but they're still really toxic stuff. You know, pornography has come in, and so girls are coming into doctors' surgeries with their mums in tears because of having had a horrible experience with a boy sexually and and because the boys are being miseducated by porn. Everyone's got to play their part in this. Mm. I think that when parents got very busy, they also got less willing to to hold the line with the children and they just just wanted to get along and have peace and quiet and so they were letting boys on the internet in their bedrooms at night and and as long as they were quiet and and you can't do that um you have to know where they are and what they're doing the things have improved and girls i'm still very worried about girls that's why i'm doing still loads more talks on parents of girls and when people come out of those talks they're angry in the boys talk they go out loving and tender but in the girls talk they go out wanting to break windows Mm. and and that's i tell them i say if you go out of this angry that's that's my aim because the world is horrible to young women and it's got worse. Now, the girls are getting stronger and the mums are getting more determined and the dads are getting more engaged with their daughters and supporting them. Um, but it's but it's World War III going on out there. And so we've got to change the world as well. If you're listening to this, you know, get onto those advertisers that try and make every little 10-year-old feel sexy and things like that. They're really messing with our kids. Stay away. Stay away from the shopping malls. Don't do shopping as your family's recreation. Uh, do what Joe does and never ask, does my bum look big in these jeans? <laughs> and get over yourself and your daughter will be much better. Yeah, it's about, I suppose, really connecting with your kids and trying to shelter them from external forces for boys and girls, isn't it? What people say, if you if you ask anywhere in the world what's gone wrong with girls, whether it's in Brazil or, or Alaska or wherever you ask, they say they're growing up too fast mm. and they're losing, they've lost two years of girlhood or four years of girlhood. So 14 is the new 18. Human beings haven't changed. We're still Stone Age creatures. With Your daughter is a wild creature and wild creatures are sensitive and they need peace and they need to grow up in their own speed. People are calling in with um, finding their daughter weeping in the bathroom in the middle of the night and and just stressed, you know, beyond belief. And this isn't coming out of the blue. This is coming from, from a world that is really abusing them mm. and forcing them to to rush out of childhood when their brain still needs those dreamy, you know, between mm. 12 and 16, it's a dreamy time. Yeah. Sleeping in, writing diaries, um, reading poetry and hanging out with odd aunties who teach you some sense and give you a broad idea of what being a woman can be is about and being around males who are just interested in gardening or <laughs> bird watching or stained glass and things like that. Don't, don't just want to tear your clothes off. There's a job to be done with girls. I'm not glossing that over, Joe. It's no, a real battle. I would agree with you, but I also think that similarly for boys, you know, we know that 
for, for mental health in men, we're at a crisis level in Australia that the level of suicide for men is unacceptably, tragically high. Um, and that surely too is about helping our boys be who they are and loving and accepting who they are and it, and even if that doesn't comply with some notion of masculinity. You know, the, the crisis sort of sits on both sides of the gender, doesn't it? Yes, that's right. I was getting on my girl's hobby horse thing that I come <laughs> back to my, to my life's work. And of course, of course. And and suicide is death from loneliness. Mm. Um, the research is, de- is developing fast on this, that it, it's nearly always relationships or addictions or money problems that trigger a, a suicide in a man. And we may it may be that it's not enough just to say, you know, speak up and talk to a friend. We have to have the services that then come in. If, if a man's struggling in his relationships, he needs very male-specific support to, to, to help hold his marriage together or to come out of it in, in, in decent shape. And with with you know with um, with respect, if he's got money problems, that's what he needs help with too. So it's a combination. It's not all to do with mental illness. Some is, we just don't we don't have very good services for men. Mm. Steve, we have really gone deep. I'm loving this conversation, and but I too love really practical tips for our parents. So I wonder if you could give just to wrap this up. And I know it's sort of thinking more universally, not necessarily for boys and girls separately. What are some tips that it's going to make it easier for our parents just to give them a little shift in their day? Because I know throughout the whole of this podcast series, we've heard that parents are time poor, they're tired, and they feel very much like they are comparing themselves to other people, other parents, and like they're not doing a great job. And it's, it hurts me because parenting should be joyous and, yes, hard, but joyous as well. What practical tips that you could share with us that's okay. going to help some parents? Well, bad luck, Joe, because I'm not a tips kind of a person. Oh, no. So what, I'll, <laughs> what I'll do is I'll go back to the basic deep down root of all of this. Yes. Slow your life down mm-hmm. and things go better. You know, love takes time. And on your part, it's it's a practical thing. Get get rid of some of the clutter in your in your diary, and say no to things. Mm. Hang out a lot, and and listen to your insides, because in your insides there'll be misgivings, and there'll be niggles, and and there'll be little things that are needing your attention, whether it's in yourself or in your child. Now you already know what those are deep down. And if you go quiet, um, you know, you take a whole day to just go off wandering with you with your child somewhere on a weekend, they'll come to the surface and they'll be important. And so if you're listening to the program, give that a go. I really love that. I'm a big believer in stillness so that you can hear the voice inside. Oh, such a believer of that. Well, I know that we can catch your workshops online, can't we, in August? That's right. Thank you. We've just decided that we've... We've got to go online. There's no choice. I love those mums and dads face-to-face, but we can't do that anymore. So all of my talks will be online now, um, and we've got some coming up in August if people want to come along to those. That'd be great. So that's at stevefordolf.com.au. You can find the details for how you can catch Steve's workshops, Raising Boys, Raising Girls, or the third one is called... The Secret of Happy Children. Ah, is it to be slow as a parent? <laughs> That's only part of the story. 
Well, thank you so much, Steve. I know that you have a, you've had a huge impact on parents around the world for so long, and it's been a real pleasure to speak with you in person. It's a lot of fun and, and much love to everybody listening. Thank you. Steve Bedolf there, and that website again is stevebedolf.com.au. If any of the things we have talked about here has raised issues for you, please reach out to Lifeline 13 11 14 or at the website lifeline.org.au. Well, that brings this series of Mum Plus One to a close. You know, I see parenting as a bit like that vaudeville act, you know, where they're spinning the plates on the long poles and all the time they're trying to set the table and they're serving spaghetti bolognese to the unsuspecting couple, you know. (laughs) And sometimes our plates smash around us, whether that's forgetting to pick up our kid from basketball or having no clean school uniforms to wear or serving cornflakes for dinner. But it doesn't matter because that's all part of the fun of the act. And of course, unlike a stage show, in real life, all that matters is the love. And what an incredible gift that love between us and our kids is. And the last thing I would say to you, because I say this to every parent, you are doing a great job. Thanks for listening and we'd love it if you could share this podcast with a friend or someone you think might enjoy it. Thanks to Red Energy for supporting this podcast. Red Energy has great value electricity and gas that goes beyond price. Call 131 806 today. If you enjoyed Mum Plus One with Joe Stanley, then check out the other podcasts in the Red Energy Lifestyle series. For all things home design, enjoy Home Style with Shana Blaze. Getting the balance of large open spaces is about creating zones within one space and making them feel intimate within that space. Great value electricity and gas. That's Red Energy. Thanks for listening to Mum Plus One with Joe Stanley, part of Red Energy's podcast lifestyle series. Available on your favourite podcast platform and the S. App.